at Indiana Podcast. I'm Jim Reamer, joined once again with, uh, with Zach Tyler. Zach, how are you? Doing well, Jim. Thank you. Another week of very little basketball. Uh, I think we're running out of topics. Uh, we, we did have a little bit of a development. Uh, probably, what, an hour or so after we got done recording last week? Yeah, probably about that. Or maybe even as we were recording. It could have uh, been, too, yeah. Michael e- yeah, Michael Ely. Um, shooting guard from, from, um, Fort Wayne Snyder. Wow. Had a great junior year, uh, with, with Dylan Duff and, and Snyder was a a team. Well, they won their sectional. They were a team that if anybody on paper was going to beat Carmel in that, in what is the Logansport regional, it would have been Snyder, uh, both those kids are super talented and, and both of them are also matchup problems. Um, Ely is division one athlete. I mean, he's definitely a division one player. He's, he comes in with, um, with multiple division one offers and he decides he's going to go to a prep school. He's going to go to elevation prep, which is a, a newly formed prep school that works in conjunction with make sure I got this right. Lakewood, Park Christian yep. Academy or Lakewood Park Academy? Yeah, Lakewood Park Christian uh, Academy. Out of Fort Wayne. Up to now, Lake that school has been a 1A school. They have a really good incoming junior, uh, Caden Bontrager, correct? Yeah, Caden Bontrager, six, yep. Yep, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, forward, uh, who's – who certainly is putting up great numbers and, and will have to pass the test of playing against better competition in the summer than what they get. And, and no news yet on if he's going to be part of this new prep school team or, or what, in a lot of instances, some of the, and with the prep schools, just to clarify, we're talking about not ones like Don Bosco who only deal with post-grads. Um, our discussion you and I had before this, we talked about Charlie Yoder a little bit that him going to a prep school, that's not what we're talking about. We're, we're talking about kids that forego high school, traditional high school, and end up going to a prep school, which some people would call sort of semi-back, like a basketball factory. Not, not always a fair assessment, but in, in this case, this school just popped up out of nowhere. Um, Eagley's got offers from Ball State, Evansville, IUPUI, and Miami of Ohio. He's one of those kids that is maybe a borderline High major grab if he can really show his what posi- you know what he can guard, and a kid that if he can really show consistency with three point range, and and not digging too deeply into his numbers from his junior year, I don't know what his efficiency were was from from different parts of the floor, but that's what the issue on him coming in to this past season was and, and certainly a mid-major talent and a kid that was going to use the spring and summer to, to maybe bounce up a little bit. But uh, what do we know about this school? Do we know anything about this prep school? <laughs> uh, 
Not really too much. We just know that they're trying to get a couple teams, of sounds like, of the undergrad prep and potentially working with uh, – I've heard St. Francis mention working with St. Francis class-wise for, for college prep also stuff and then maybe getting a, a post-grad team as well, but we'll see. Yeah, the post-grad side of it was interesting. And then that's – and f- full disclosure, just to start, I'm – Especially for Indiana kids, I'm completely against any of these guys going to prep school. I, I realize, I realize they're these are individual decisions. I realize these are family decisions. They have the freedom to make these decisions. Um, they don't have to. I don't begrudge them of it. I just don't know that I see the value in it, especially given some of the opportunities these guys have to play basketball in the end. And I don't mean that from some sort of romantic sense or some sort of loyalty sense, a little bit of loyalty, but, but you're going to have to play an awfully good schedule to really get more out of it than what Snyder's going to give him. And, and a lot of these guys that we're going to talk about, they're in the same position. There, there's, you, you look at even La Lamere, who's way more established not only as a basketball program and, and the type of schedule they play, but also the school itself is, is more established. Uh, the boarding school, it's been open since the 1950s, if memory, if I recall that correctly. And when you look at, they play a handful of games that I would consider to be high profile games. But other than that, it's a pretty mediocre schedule. They, in La Lumiere's case, they they don't look to play the better teams in Indiana. And when they do, and, and some of this may be uh, may be uh, bad information or one sided information, but my understanding is is they won't play on the road. They'll they'll play in neutral courts, but they won't play. You know, they for a while there they didn't beat good teams out of Indiana. Uh, they, um, I know this past year they played Bowman Academy, they played Michigan City, they played Gary Roosevelt twice. Uh, you know, Michigan City could be talented at times. They're very young this year, if I right, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, for the most uh, part. Bowman Academy still in sort of disarray after all the crap they went, they had to go through uh, with the, their previous violations and and being suspended with from the IHSA state tournament. Um, not exactly a powerhouse schedule. If you're, I don't know, if you're someone like me who cares about that, I guess that's where that goes. So La Lumiere may not give a crap about who they play. That, and that's that's fine. I, I tend to think they would struggle against the, the top 4A teams in the state. I know they did beat Brownsburg a couple years ago at Danville High School, but that was also a very flawed Brownsburg team that was extremely young and didn't really have anybody who could hit outside shots. So the fact that you're going to go in, try to attack the interior against a team that Lalamira had two years ago was not a very successful matchup for Brownsburg, but they hung in there and, and they were, um, they battled till you know, outside of a couple of stretches, battled pretty well. But 
but it's been a long time since La Lamere's really played anybody on the road. I think it's been since they played Bloomington South. And, um, you know, so it's, it's, you know, you're looking at somebody like me who looks at Indiana high school basketball, something that's borderline sacred. You hate to see some of these kids leave really good situations because there's a lot of competitive basketball in the state and it's, it's seen year in year out at the college level. But what are your thoughts on these schools, Zach? I mean, you're, you're around college coaches, especially you're probably around college coaches more than I am, at least just, you know, a couple specifically, but sure. But certainly, you know, certainly you've got your own view on this situation. Yeah. Uh, back to the elevation prep real quick. Uh, I, I feel like if they're going to be successful, they're going to be stealing a lot of those Fort Wayne kids, the the higher level players, especially from those high schools. And I'm not sure how those, those schools and coaches are going to like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, the interesting thing was there was something on the internet right after that happened was they, they blamed the Indy Heat AAU program for it. Okay. And, or assumed they had something involved with it because Cody Henson, who's the head coach of this team, uh, it was been involved in that AAU program, but, you know, but so is Jeremy Rauch and the head coach at Snyder and they're both part of the same program. And I can't imagine coach Rauch is too pumped up with the idea of losing his best player. And, and certainly his best incoming player, or best returning player. So I, I can't imagine that's that's done much for that relationship. Yeah. And, and I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe some school coaches don't take it as as personally as as I would in that scenario, um, where you put a lot of time into kids, you put a lot of time into the, into their development, even if it's even if it is focused just on what you're doing school-wise. I mean, I know a lot of these kids have their own individual trainer. Uh, a lot of the top kids a lot of the top kids don't pay for it. So let's not act like let's not act like these trainers are um, you know getting paid a bunch of money by guys to do this stuff. They're and I don't mean that as a negative because at that point they're doing things to help kids in some cases that, that maybe can't afford it. But when you work out a top level kid, it goes on your resume. If you're, if you're a workout guy and Ely's one of those dudes, you know, he's one of those guys that can make you, you know, a guy that trains kids can, can hang, you know, can put him on top of the resume. Um, but what, what puzzles me is, Teams like this need funding that goes beyond a school bus taking kids to a game. They they need if they're going to do something different that's going to lure someone like Ely from Snyder to this situation. Right. That's going to take money, and so that's the big question. And I don't know how deeply either one of us dug into it, but that's the big question: is how does stuff like this get funded? And and in some of the bad situations across the country, they're funded by guys who are looking to get involved with these kids after they're done with co- after they're done with with college. You know, the kids will move to college, and these guys try to sink their hooks in them. So there's always that element around. A lot of times, they're financial guys, they're hedge fund guys, they're agents, 
the that's why the NCAA is battling some of these schools and, and messing up messing around with their accreditation, trying very hard to make sure these schools are attached to legitimate scholastic situations. Yeah, definitely. And not just in the basement of churches. And by all accounts, Lakewood Lakewood Academy is is a is a legitimate school. I mean it's not so that but you know, this type of program is so new. You know, we'll see how closely tied to it, to the school that it is, you know, going forward. Uh, we had the hint of this starting a few years ago at Traders Point Christian Church here in the Indianapolis area, where there was an effort to put together a legitimate, like a, what I would say a serious, not legitimate, but a serious prep school program. And the, the administration of that church decided to, to go against it, and they wanted to steer more in the direction of being part of the ITSA. And ultimately, I don't know what the decision was based on. But then, of course, the ITSA was like, okay, fine, we'll let you in, but you have to you know, play by our rules, strictly by our rules, or, or by our rules strictly for five years before we'll even consider your, your submission. And they're just now to the point I think this may have been their first state tournament. If okay. it wasn't last year, then it was this year. That would kind of suck if this was their first year for it. But <laughs> seeing as how we didn't have it, but I don't know. I mean, you know, Cody Henson is a is a guy that's coached in the Fort Wayne scene for a number of years. He's coached AAU for Indy Heat for a number of years. He's been a like a one of the coaches on their secondary team. He's coached one of their I think he's involved with their 15 and under age group the last couple of years. He's coached. He coached at Lincoln Prep, which was a school down south, which was a prep school down south. Uh, both those, they're basically their coaching staff got fired. Don't know why. You know some of some of those things. Sometimes it has nothing to do with wins and losses. It has everything to do with are you pleasing the guy that's funding it. Right. Uh, you know, have no have no idea. Uh, hell, maybe been a good thing for him to get fired at a you know, places like that. You just never know. Um, and, and I'm pretty jaded against these types of situations. So I just assume that whenever these programs fold or, or dump an entire coaching staff, it, it's probably for reasons other than just winning or losing games. Right. Makes sense. Uh, but that's the path you go down when you play for these schools, because they're not, they're not governed by normal rules and in some cases not governed by any rules i mean la la mer they have to my knowledge there's no athletic associations rules they have to follow they can openly recruit kids this elevation academy is the exact same way uh there there's no there's no recourse for any school coach in indiana whom i'm going to favor pretty much 100 percent of the time there's no recourse for them to stop it and, and, you know, and there's over the last decade or last, especially the last half decade, and we, you and I put together a list before the show of guys that have left Indiana high schools and go, go down that list. If you've got that handy, you have that handy. Yeah, I can go out real quick. Uh, let's see. We've got Rocco Muratori. He's at Lalamere right now. We've been talking about Lalamere a lot. Uh, and he, he's a 20 guy? Uh, no, he's a... 21? 20, uh, 
2021. Okay. Uh, Reggie Bass, 2022. Kamari Lands, 2022. Michael Saunders, a 2020 guy. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. from uh, 2017. Paul Scruggs, 2016. Or, I mean, 2017. Yeah, that was my fault. I put the 2016 first. Gotcha. Uh, We had Jaden Ivey from this last year. Uh, Jalen Coleman lands from 2015. And then Keon Brooks from 2019 is the list we came up with. And we may be missing, you know, we may be missing some obscure kids. And I'll, I'll tell you, you look at all those guys, and again, they all have their own personal decisions and and you you look at a kid like Reggie Bass who's playing at a prep school in Tennessee it was made pretty clear even from those that are kind of in his life that he's the change of scenery was going to do him good that and I don't mean that from people on the outside looking in I mean that from people on the inside looking out that he needed that he needed to be away from Muncie and don't know why. I mean, I've, as long as I've coached 30 years, I've, I've only ever come across two situations where I thought the the kid could seriously use a change of scenery and from his home life. And, you know, and that's, it's unfortunate when that happens, but I don't, you know, I don't know that you, know, you can't really just get inside these situations and, and condemn them all. But but I think it definitely deserves some scrutiny. You know, you look at like Rocco Muratori, who's who's at West Lafayette yep. or was at West Lafayette. There is absolutely no reason to leave that school academically. In, in my opinion, there's absolutely no reason to leave that school from a coaching perspective. There aren't too many coaches in the state of Indiana that are better than Dave Wood. And for and maybe there's some usage issues, maybe there's some developmental issues, maybe maybe there's some you know, Coach Wood does like to you know, he likes he's gonna develop kids to play in his system. And and as long as I've coached, I've told guys that how you high school coaches have to win games to keep their job there's just no way around it and the summer is a time to expand and play in situations where you're going to be recruited sometimes those two things contradict each other and my goal is is that there's never a kid that can't do both and be successful you should be able to fit in and and use that time to develop, you know, your overall game. Um, you know, I don't know why Muratori left West Lafayette, but again, you know, West Lafayette's the, probably the top public school in the state of Indiana academically, even better than my beloved Carmel. Um, and West Lafayette, for a 3A school, plays a really good schedule. And they certainly play all the big schools in the Lafayette area. Yeah. And those schools are kind of on the uptick in in terms of talent. And 
I think Woody's one of those guys too that when he's got some talent, and it's tough for him to get a lot of basketball, a lot of guys there that prioritize basketball. Most of them are football players. Some of them are bas, you know, some of them do, you know, end up playing baseball. Lafayette's a big baseball city. Um, you know, Rocco was going to be a guy that was seven feet tall, pretty skilled, good hands. Lanky, kind of a weak core, certainly when he was younger and, and injured a lot because, I mean, the, the kid grew a ton. And definitely a prospect worth looking into if you felt like he could put on weight and keep it. Yeah, for sure. You know, Lands, Kamari Lands, very little reason for him to leave Brownsburg. Very little. Um and I'm sure they have their reasons. There's definitely no basketball reason to leave Brownsburg. You know, unless it's just an issue of not being in the role he wanted. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson Jr. Okay, if your argument is Park Tudor is a 2A school. And a lot of their schedule is is playing their conference teams, which aren't that competitive. I shouldn't say it like that. They're not. They're not big time games. They're not. He's not going to find guys that can help him prepare to play in the Big Ten. But lives in Carmel. Could have easily gone to Carmel. Could have easily gone to Cathedral. Could have easily. Hell, I don't know, rented an apartment at Washington Township and gone to North Central if you didn't want to go to Carmel. Uh, Paul Scruggs, no reason to leave Southport. None. Uh, no basketball reason. You know, prolific prep is definitely not an academic situation at all. Uh, you know, and the Jade and Ivy thing was perplexing. I think Mishawaka Marion was as prepared as anybody to be really good this year. They still had a good year without him. Yeah. They would have been better with him. So it's not to tie those two, you know, to those tie those two concepts together, but but they would have been I mean they were going to be in the Hall of Fame tournament, so that shows what people around the state thought of them. And and that's a big basketball family. I mean, for God's sakes, his mother was just named the head coach of the women's team at Notre Dame. So yeah. it's it's not like they don't have their knowledge. It's just seems like he was seeking a better deal. I don't, and I or a bigger deal, not a better deal, but a bigger deal in in terms of again, there's a handful of games that maybe they play, you get to play some get couple games on ESPN. Well, you know, big deal, right? Uh, you know, Keon Brooks. That that one's interesting. I I don't I don't know that you know I don't know that um, how odd that situation at Fort Wayne North was. I mean, you look at how quickly it fell apart when Coach Kalik left to go to Richmond, and now all of a sudden they're struggling to win games, and Fort Wayne can tend to be like that. You know, because they've got that whole school system that is select schools. They basically can go whichever one they want, I mean, especially as a freshman. And the only thing that keeps them from switching at, at their whim, their own whim, is the HSA rules. If you're a basketball, you know, if you're an athlete. Um, 
probably a more stable, probably not a great stable situation athletically because those guys can just come and go as they please. And, and I know there have been cases where schools have wanted to challenge transfers and then the school corporation there in Fort Wayne stepped in and said, no, you're not going to do that. So sometimes head coaches or administrators as a proxy for their head coach, their hands are kind of tied. And, and truth be told, most of those principals don't necessarily care whether or not a kid, whether or not they sign off on a kid or not. You know, they might do it out of respect for their school coach, but if their administrators from the, you know, from the school, from the the school district comes down and says, nah, just go ahead and sign off on him, they're probably going to do it and not lose one second of sleep over it. Um, I, you know, I don't know why Brooks left there other than the fact that, you know, with Butts graduating, a couple of those guys graduating, how good would they be? He would be the only big kid they had. Would he have to play inside? You know, sometimes those things enter into play. You know, the role you have on your team plays it plays it has an impact on it. The Lands kid from Brownsburg probably wasn't going to get a lot of varsity minutes as a freshman. Was definitely going to play varsity, but wasn't going to get a lot of minutes. Um, you know, and and Lands Jalen Coleman Lands, oddly enough, Kamari's cousin, transferring from Cathedral to Lalamere. There's no basketball reason to do that. There's no academic reason to do that. And Cathedral is a excellent situation for anybody to get the kind of competition they need. And academically, it's a good school. There's just there's no reason for it other than you're just looking for something else, I guess. And I don't. Nobody's going to care beyond listening to this podcast what I think about it. <laughs> that's just that's yeah. just how I feel about it. And right. um, they have the absolute right to do whatever they want. And they're moving into a situation where, um, you know, they, they do get some more freedom. They do – they don't have to adhere to IHSA core class issues in terms of – Schools having structured curriculum, you know more, you know way more about that than I do. But there's there's way less flexibility if you're going to a school, you know, it's governed by the Indiana Department of Education. It's just, you know, there's a certain process. You, you know, sometimes you can't lump your, you can't jump curriculum. You can't just jump back and forth in curriculum. And some kids need that. They need to be able to pile on core classes regardless of how it all fits together. Right. Um, and I don't, that would just bore people to talk about that, but that's what a lot of guys used to do before the NCAA started putting together rules. That's why Robert, Va it's one reason why Robert, Robert Vaden left Pike was because he needed way more core classes to be eligible than what Pike could even remotely give him as a senior just because he struggled so much as he was younger. And when he finally started to take it seriously, which that's pretty common for, for kids, when he finally started to take it seriously, there was nothing he could do, you know, and he wasn't, he wanted to be eligible. So back then you could do that. Now it's much, much harder to do that per the NCAA with some of the rules they have. 
Um, Mike Saunders leaving Lawrence North. You know, good kid. I mean, all these guys are good kids, so I don't say it about one kid doesn't mean the others aren't. But, but Mikey leaving leaving Lawrence North was that group of kids. As much as they liked each other, had some dysfunction, some chemistry issues, and I think it was a. I think I know and I know a little bit that his dad was looking for something different in terms of just putting Mikey in a situation where he was the point guard, the guy, and and not have to. And even that's probably too harsh, but but not being a situation where. There's just some uncertainty of roles that Coach Kiefer wasn't being as serious about, perhaps. And when you've got as much talent as Lawrence North does, sometimes there's that idea you can have too much talent. Clearly, LN didn't wasn't hurt by losing him. And Mikey did really well at Walkish. I'm going to forget. I'm going to not pronounce that right. The prep school in Utah. And, you know, it was it was probably – I mean, I'm sure that's the reason why. But, it, you know, Lawrence North kind of came together because they had more defined roles. You know, so for two years, you know, a Van, it was A. Vance and Perkins and, you know, this year Gunn stepped in and – and you know there was no there were no issues and again those kids are all friends um but they just didn't that group just didn't click and the last two years lawrence north has has really clicked and i think there isn't a concept that you can have too much talent but i think Kiefer's probably the right guy to handle that talent though too yeah I, yeah, the, he is. He, their deal, and I don't. We could have a whole discussion on individual teams, what they do well, what they don't do well. They they got in that stretch where in the beginning of the years they would press and, and try to play fast and and look really good in the beginning of the year, and then as as teams were scouting it out and being a little bit of su- successful of turning their defense into their you know into the into their offense, turning LN's defense into their offense. He got more conservative, and the slower those games got, the tougher it was for those guys to kind of coexist. Yeah. You know, and again, from a from a competition standpoint, from an academic standpoint, there's no reason to leave Lawrence North. Um, you know, Jalen Jackson, Jaron Jackson is the only one that you can look at and say, hey, from a basketball perspective, this makes sense, but he had other alternatives he could have done, which is just go to the public school that represents the district where he lives. Of course, me being the Carmel guy, you know, that'd be where I would want him to go. <laughs> but going from private to public, he would have some options. Um, and then the Bass thing with him, you know, maybe the idea of a change of scenery being good. You know, I don't know. It'd be it'd be interesting to see. It certainly hasn't hurt his recruiting. He's he's got what Texas Tech and 
and um, I'm going to forget now what offers he's got, but he's got Texas Tech and and another high major offer. And I'm and I'm sure he's been pretty successful down there. I don't really don't really have much uh, much information on what type of season he's had, but but he's a heck of a player. And I, I kind of wish he was back at Muncie Central, but <laughs> that's my overall that's my overall viewpoint. But it, it really hasn't hurt the game in Indiana, has it? No, I don't think so. And I just to touch back a little bit on what you were talking about. Uh, I just looked up Reggie; he's got an offer from Florida too. Uh, okay. Um, the guys you mentioned were pretty well established and really didn't need to go anywhere basketball wise to get better offers uh, is what I was going to add to that part of the conversation. I feel like they were all uh, ready to, they were, they were already in line to get what they got is I guess is what I want to say. And there's, you know, the, the, the development side of this, these guys all come from good, good programs too, coaching wise or and developmental wise. Right. You know, you you look at a guy like Kamari, and you look at a guy like Jalen Coleman. Their uncle trains him, so it's not like. And Shabaka trains a lot of kids, and does a real and does a good job. So it's not like. They're not getting any better training up there. That's my prejudicial opinion. I don't think they're going to get any better training than what his uncle, what their uncle gives them. Yeah. And Jaron Jackson, Park Tudor, you know, they're going through some, you know, they went through some transition there with Coach Cox situation, but, but that's a school that has, they've always got that one guy on staff that really is just like a developmental guy. You know, Schilling had it. Of course, Schilling was that guy for a long time. When Ed, when Ed Schilling, you know, Eddie Schilling was the head coach there. He, you know, he runs his Champions Academy, so he's doing a lot of development. You know, they've had guys come in and out of that program like Paul Schwartz. And so there, there's never a lack of people at Park Tudor. Or there's never a lack of op- an opportunity at Park Tudor to have somebody that can really do a great job of working guys out and developing them individually, even individually beyond what Park Tudor's system is. You know, and Chandler Thompson being the head coach at Muncie Central, he is a all-time great Muncie Central player. Longtime assistant coach at Lawrence North. Obviously did a great job with his son. He, his son went from a walk-on at Ball State to a starter at Ball State. On some of their better teams recently. Although it's tough sometimes for us to see that when, you know, they're in the MAC and it's a one-bid league, so if they're not making an NCAA tournament, people who don't follow them closely don't don't get a chance to see much of them. You know, Scruggs had his own – I mean, all these guys have their own workout guys. I guess that's where I'm going with it. They all have their own workout guys. So the notion that they're going to go to a prep school and somehow magically get more developmental opportunities, I just don't – I don't buy that excuse anymore. And they don't need to appease my opinion on it. It's just we're having a podcast. We're talking about it. Right. And – you know, do it, do you? Would you be the guy? Would you be one that would be like, "Hey, this is a good idea"? 
so yeah, my opinion on prep school wise is I feel like there's a few different ways you could go. We talked a little bit about the development way, like we've, we've said, and you mentioned a lot of guys that don't need to go somewhere to get developed because of their connections they already have. Well, and I understand that's, I agree with that also. Plenty of guys that probably don't have those same connections that are really good players that could use the development, get in a way like that. Uh, I think the big thing with preps high school wise is, is the exposure. Uh, we kind of talked about that also with uh, Lalamere playing a handful of televised games or whatever. Uh, but the the bigger time prep schools are going to play that national schedule. They're well, they're playing those games a lot more frequently, like the IMGs and stuff like that. But are, have you really looked at their schedules? I mean, I've done this in the past. I didn't do it tonight. Yeah, and I didn't tonight either. I did look. I I did look at Lalamere's schedule, and some of those schools I don't know much about. But yeah, I mean IMG. At one point, I know I looked, and they again outside of those four or five school outside of those four or five games, nothing. They don't play anybody. No, nothing. A lot of it's blowouts. I think the the school that uh, Bass is at, outside of that occasional showcase that they play, yeah, there's it's it's nothing. And you know, I don't know. I uh, who was the guy? The guy that Indiana just offered. The guard from Massachusetts. Um, hold on, look it up right now. New twenty twenty one offer. I'm looking at rivals. John Candom out of Archbishop Carroll. Um, the highlights of him with his with his team. I mean, he's at a school in uh, Pennsylvania, in Philly. And maybe that's not a prep school, so that may not be fair. You should probably probably see that. But it looks like he's, it looks like they're playing a JV team. <laughs> of course, that may be why he he goes to a prep school. I don't know. Right. So maybe that's a bad example. But you know who should go to a prep school? <laughs> Luke Brown should go to a prep school. There we go. <laughs> Luke Luke Brown should go to a prep school. That's a kid that you know has some high major traits. And right now, mid-major offers. And the you know the the knock on him is, you know, can he can he do some of those things against better competition, especially defensively? And he's just not going to get that at Blackford. Even their even them scheduling up and playing down the Graver Post tournament down at North Davies, uh-huh. you know, it which is a great event, but there just isn't Division One caliber talent down there in terms of athleticism. Uh, you know, and I'm looking at this group of incoming seniors and short of Christian Lander reclassifying and, or, you know, classifying up and being a 2020 guy. I mean, honestly, there's, you know, there's really no situation where I'd look at a kid and think he could really be benefited from playing that type of schedule other than Luke Brown. You know, if, if I'm DJ Hughes and somebody comes in and tells me, hey, you're going to be our starting three man, you know, m- maybe I think about it. But but then you consider, well, Lawrence North doesn't hinder kids like that from 
getting what they can get out of their offense. It's not like DJ Hughes, and it's probably a bad example. I'm just spitballing at this point. You, you watch the way DJ Hughes plays. I love the fact that as much as he's trying to expand his game, he doesn't ignore the post. But they're not just throwing him down there 100% of the time. It's probably 50-50 at most. The rest of it's him moving around and, and you know sliding in and out and and getting some screens. And they do have some action where he gets a screen and he takes his cut into the paint. But, you know, that would be the only kid, you know, a kid that's transitioning positions and would have no shot at playing at the high school level, you know, with his current high school team, maybe. You know, um, if I'm Caleb first, then I want to go somewhere and not just be a center the whole freaking game. You know, maybe I consider something like that. But, you know, I don't know that, I know Blackhawk has some games that they'll play this next year where they'll just completely overwhelm people, but they've done a good job of scheduling up during his time there. Yeah. And, but I'm looking at the list of kids that have offers, you know, and it would probably be Luke Brown and maybe, I don't know, maybe Peyton Sparks with some of the stuff that's going on with him right now. But, you know, if I'm a kid like that, I want to make sure that I'm going into a situation where I know I'm going to play, too. Right. And see, like, I mean, we could pro- a, a kid I was thinking no. of that, that you really like already in high school, and uh, he's graduating, though, Dylan Ware. I feel like he's a kid that would that would benefit from a prep school, get stronger. Well, that's the post. Yeah, that's the, the post grad. Right. Right. But would that, have, yeah. would that have helped him going into his senior year instead if he did that instead of went to staying at Danville? Do you, in your opinion? Well, I don't No, because I don't think strength is a concern for him. I think he's still this sort of this mix between a tweener forward and a combo forward, you know? Yeah. And, and I've got a pretty good relationship with his dad. We've always, we've had a lot of discussions over the years about, you know, well, he's like a point forward and, and there's no question that in, in matchups, certain matchups, he could be a primary ball handler. He needed the he needs to completely re- rework his shot mechanics. I don't think prep school helps him do that. I think getting his butt in the gym, two hours, four days a week, and and making sure that he puts himself in a position where he doesn't rely on bad shot mechanics. Yeah, is what helps his game. You know, there's a kid that we tried to recruit for my team this year. And his dad's holding him out of AAU this year because he wants him to work on a shot. Now, I've coached kids that have done both at the same time, and we've been very, very careful about making sure you don't get to extend your range until you can shoot with proper mechanics. But that only works. It only works when parents are on board 100%. You know, and, th- and that's why I wanted this kid still because you know, his dad would be like, look, if we defined his range, he'd be fully on board with it. But yeah, I don't to me Dylan needed the Dylan could use a year of postgrad where he's you know, don't get me wrong, I think Ayu Kokmo, I mean, it's a good choice. Oh, no doubt. But if he were being if he were to be in a situation, like we have to add that caveat in, 
after touting such a steal. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's not like Dylan's going to go there and dominate. He's, he's still got to put in work. I mean, that's oh, yeah, no, be no, competitive sure. at the NAI level. But no, I, I think shot mechanics was, was a big deal for him in, in recruiting. And he could do everything else either well or really well. And there may be some questions on what position he can guard at a, at a plus level. But he's so long that I think he can back himself up a couple inches and still be effective. You know, it, it's – but I also don't fully know what he was hearing from coaches or, or what Coach Barber was hearing from college coaches Yeah, in his recruiting. I, I know that I always have a much better grasp on that on kids I coach because I'm trying to – you know, and there's some cases like we knew, felt really positive about Sean McDermott was going to redshirt his first year no matter where he went. You know, and Butler fully believed in that. You know, even a kid like Smits, Smits was willing. If high majors were going to get involved with him right out of high school, Smits was willing to redshirt a year to to develop his body more. Uh-huh. You know, and so I've I've had those conversations in real time about kids where, Hey, if he's willing to give you one more year somewhere else on somebody else's dime, you know, IE the post, the post grad prep school, then, you know, would you be interested in him or the, you know, flat out come in and red shirt? Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a good, I, I think you're going the right direction with it, with, with where, but, but in his case, I think at some point two years ago, I would have completely reworked his shot mechanics. Yeah. You know, and I don't know. I don't know that he didn't do it, that he didn't try to do it. But I've also coached kids where they've tried very hard to do it, and it's hard. You know, it's 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 very hard to re- to retrain your brain to do things. You know, we could probably dig up Markel Fultz videos from his, his one year in college to his rookie year in the NBA to, to what he is this year, which was a productive player. And that's a kid that messed around with his shot mechanics to the point where he first of all, he screwed it up, then, then injured himself and had to rework it. It's not an easy process. It's a, a committed process where in in live action, you can't revert back because that's it's basically reinforcing bad habits. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at the list of kids that have offers right now. And the only one that stands out really is, is, uh, is Luke Brown, you know, a guy that's his recruiting is probably pretty solid. He's got what seven offers, eight offers. Uh, some IU fans that think IU should offer him just because the shooting is such a premium. And uh, I don't know what other fan bases are thinking, but but he's a kid that is a high major shooter. 
and and probably has high major vision. And so the but the question is is could he can the things he does the things that he do those things transfer up especially athletically would he be able to have the kind of room he needs to be successful at any of that. Right. And and you kind of touching on that also that was that was going to be another point I was going to make was that if a kid's not liking the offers that they have preps a good way to go if you're that's the post the post is that you mean the post yeah or the it could be either i guess i mean post grad more so probably than than like a luke brown situation obviously but but uh yeah if you don't love the offers i think that's the, the, the way to go sometimes is prep well and that's and that's a different because yeah, we get in situations where you know you look at Charlie Yoder that was a name you brought up before this before we started recording this obviously Incarnate Word likes him I don't know why they want him to go to a prep school but they do I don't I don't disagree with it whether it's they want him to get stronger they want him to get quicker some combination of both but they obviously love multiple aspects of his game yeah but a lot of times these parents and kids and sometimes summer coaches fall in love with the idea of, of a prep school because, oh, yeah, go get re-recruited or, you know, whatever whatever the notion is. Maybe you're thinking your school team held you back. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but to me that post-grad year works in three instances. One, you are definitely that borderline kid, and you you got to know you're getting interest. You you your recruiting is not going to jump considerably because you go to a prep school, right? Because your ceiling doesn't change just because you go to a prep school. So you got to be that kid that is on the cusp of something, and you're just not loving your ultimately loving your offers. Yep. And to me, that could be the Luke Brown scenario. The other scenario is the injured player, like a Hunter Chris from Hamilton Heights, where he had definitely a handful of D1s looking at him heading into his senior year. Kind of a tweener guard. No matter, you know, when he was going well. But definitely a guy that, definitely a glue guy, definitely a, a good role player. The ball doesn't stick with him works his butt off defensively and a guy that missed most of his senior year because of an injury, all those D ones dropped away. So yeah, you go to prep school, he goes and gets stronger and has a good year and boom, he's going to, you know, Wisconsin green Bay. And now he just transferred as a grad transfer, but you know, no question that it got him back to the level of recruitment that he was seeing before he got hurt. Yeah, definitely. And then the third scenario, yeah, and the third scenario is the Charlie Yoder types where we're going to offer you, we want you to commit, but we're going to send you to a prep school because we don't want you to waste your redshirt year. Right. I would, I don't know that Charlie Yoder would go somewhere. If I was Charlie Yoder, I'd jump on it because I get that extra year that's not on the NCAA dime or on the NCAA clock. And then I go to Incarnate Word. I'm a year. I'm a year stronger. I'm playing maybe as a freshman, sophomore, junior. 
I'm six five. I'm skilled. I'm long. Yeah. And next thing you know, he's a grad transfer. He ends up at a high mate. As much as I hate that freaking grad transfer rule. <laughs> By the way, I don't know any college coach that likes that rule. Not I don't know any Division One college coach that likes that rule. Um, and it really screws up high school recruiting, fifty percent of the time. But yeah, but. You know, those are the three instances where that post-grad year, and there have been some good cases. You know, Yoda will be one that's, you know, Hunter, that tests it. Hunter Christ, kid like Patrick Huffine from, uh, from, or from Chittard, who graduated in 2015. He took a post-grad year. I think he was six foot two when he graduated from Chittard, and he was six foot five when he left prep school. Wow. And just a late maturing kid, you know, and his brother kind of going through the same thing physically. And I'm not sure his younger brother is, is even as maybe I've missed it, but as committed to it as, as what Patrick was. But, but that was a kid that had nothing recruiting wise and ended up down at, um, I'm going to forget which sunshine state school it was the division two program down there. Um, I don't think it was Tampa, but it might be. But it was one of the schools down in Florida, and those schools recruit Indiana pretty well. So, but yeah, that's not that's not the high school prep school experience. That's the post grad prep experience, yeah. or post grad prep school experience. And and you know, you talk about Dylan Ware, Jaden Brewer's a kid, mega athletic, big time length, uh, good ball handler can be a lockdown defender, can can make plays vertically, especially you know, defensively. He he can get at the rim and, and and impact plays there. But he'll have to work out his shot mechanics too. And and, and as much as he's got right now he's got offers from Evansville and Miami of Ohio. Um you know that's a kid that high major athleticism, high major length is probably a point forward in a lot of systems at, at the three. Um, if he could shoot the ball more consistently, and I know he's working on it because I've seen that. I've seen it change. Pierce Thomas was the same way. You know, for, for two years, definitely, it was like, man, we're not sure he's going to get this thing going. And then last year... I was not only impressed with how well he, how how much better he shot the ball, but his mechanics completely changed. And as he got tired, he didn't. As he got as fatigue came in during the game, they didn't. It didn't impact him. So I was pleased for him to see that because that's a kid that I've known for for quite a long time, and, and it's fun watching him develop. And you know, and that's a kid that. If it's not going well, if it hadn't gone well as he as he what he looked this past year, you know maybe a Butler says, "Hey, let's get you an extra year." Right. But so you're on board. In every other, are you you're on board with me? Post post grad prep schools, you're okay with that. More, oh yeah. More so than than while you're in school, right? Okay. It's got to be the right situation. Yeah. I, I talked with uh, – I, I know NAI schools probably hate them. 
Yeah. Because <laughs> they're probably the ones that well, get overlooked in that process. Yeah, I was going to say, well, typically if you're going to prep school, you're not looking, oh, I'm going to go to prep school for an NAI scholarship. That's not, not, not the case. And I bet a lot of them still end up at NAI school. And you're right, yes. Especially, yeah. Because, again, the, the prep school doesn't drastically change your recruiting. It just doesn't. Unless you unless you change so drastically physically. And that may be why you go to it. That's fine. Right. That's the Patrick Huffine route. He went from nothing to Division Two, Not just Division Two, but competitive Division Two. Like, as much as we brag about the GLVC, I think that Sunshine State Conference is probably the second or third best conference, Division Two conference in the country. Um, and, and if you pick the wrong prep school, it, it's going to be an issue for you too. Because if you're not going somewhere where where the the coaches have connections, where they can just pick up the phone and make a couple calls, and then then you're in a, a bad situation at a prep school. And at that point, you're probably somebody who's hunting it, and not somebody who's been given the opportunity. Yeah. You know, and because those schools recruit every bit is as actively as colleges do. Yeah. So you got to call them. You know, if you have to call them, then you, usually if I'm involved in a, with a kid that's at 17 and under, we're on the prep school thing by mid-May of his 17 and under summer. We're basically saying, look, this is what I think of the kid. This is what he wants. He's not getting it. He's got some borderline, you know, he's got some borderline opportunities. But, you know, be on, you know, if you're, you know, come look at us, get a chance to look at him. And, you know, which for them means probably June, you know, get, get to something in June. And that way we're early on. it. I don't, it's never a last ditch situation because you don't want to be in a position where you're, you know, if you're calling prep school in April, you're like, why does this kid have nothing? No, I'm saying, I'm saying, if you're a big time recruit already, and you got, or not already, but if you are a recruit and you're at a prep school, right? That's what I'm saying. The prep school, it, 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 the good, the better prep schools are going to have connections where they can make phone calls to the colleges for you. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, and those, but those kids don't go to prep school route anymore, do they? Yeah, as far as I know, a- AAU and prep schools for the the bigger kids, I believe. And I know Jeff Shanley, who helps Trevor Andershock with his with his stuff. Shanley coached in one of the New England prep schools, and that's just a whole other situation out there. Those are they all have like high school teams, and they all have their post grad team, right? And that's. That's like as common as breathing over there. Um, you know, here in Indiana, we've got Don Bosco. That's done a really good job of getting kids placed. Uh, the, the, uh, the 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 guy from Maryland that was drafted by the Clippers this past year came from Bosco, and they they do a really good job of getting kids placed. But they but that's what I mean. They recruit kids. So if you're going to be at the disposition of calling a prep school you're really best to be doing it early and not, not waiting till the last minute, because if you're waiting the last minute, odds are prep school is not really helping you. 
the, the two instances where prep school is really helping you are the ones that I outlined earlier, which are you're just an absolute late bloomer, you know, or you're injured. You know, those are the two instances where you go from nothing to something because you just, you know, you're, you're physically going to change or, or in the case of an injury, you're physically going to get better. You know, or you're Charlie Yoder and, you know, basically you're placed in a situation. Right. Do we know where he's going to prep school? Uh, no, I, I haven't heard anything yet. What it was I thought it was interesting when the Inspire opened up here that that would be a nice – Or elevation. Or elevation. I mean, yeah, that would be a nice close-to-home uh, place for him if they end up going that post, post-grad post route there, which sounds like they're trying to. And I – and there was a kid from this area <laughs> who we haven't named yet, and I'm not going to name his name. He's a good kid, and it, he went to the he he went to prep school route, and it was just a complete mess. And he ended up going to Aspire Academy. And, and a lot of, you know, anybody that's listening knows probably who I'm talking about because we probably all gotten that 3 a.m. text. But just great people just over-anxious on the whole basketball recruiting thing, and it just sort of consumed everything they did, and it just – he just should have stayed put. And it wasn't a Carmel kid, so – but he just should have stayed put because that would have been better suited for him, and, and he would have figured out the schedule that this – that this school team played, he would have been able to sink or swim on his own and probably would have been, I don't know, a decent low major D2, you know, maybe an AI, I don't know, but a low major D2 skilled four if he had just stayed put and and just continually worked and, and earned his way up the ladder from a playing time perspective and and, you know, he's he's long out of the picture. He gradu- I think he gradu- graduated in 2018, if I'm not mistaken, if I remember correctly. So, maybe a 2019 kid. I don't I – I have to go back and look. But, but, anyway, I think we've sort of talked that angle to death. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that – I mean, obviously, I hope – even as an adv- even as the guy who doesn't like that prep school route, I hope obviously Ely gets to have a good experience his senior year. Yeah, for sure. I he's leaving a good situation. He's leaving a good coach. I have no clue what Cody Henson is like on a day to day basis from a coaching perspective. Someone who's done it for thirty years and someone that coached school ball for ten years those two coaching environments are two entirely different things. Not only in terms of terms of mostly in terms of preparation, you know, and and in terms of how you structure practice and, and the things you emphasize and very different practice plans when I'm coaching school ball versus in the summer. And I'm not a guy that rolls it out. I'm a guy, I mean, I've got pretty detailed practice plans that (laughs) I send to my two assistants and, and they probably think I'm, I'm stupid. 
not stupid <laughs> dumb, but stupid. Like, why am I putting in so much time? Sure. But, but I can tell you the first half hour of my practices, you know, at the school level look a lot different than anything I do in the summer, just because we're doing it every day and we've got more time to do things and, and we've got more ways to help improve their game than, than the way we break things down. And, and uh, so I have no clue what Cody Henson is like on a day-to-day basis, what he'll be like in that, in that setting. Um, you know, and right now we only know they have one player. I'm sure they have more, but right now we only we know they have one of note and only one of note. Right. We know what their apartments look like. We know <laughs> kind of where they are. Yeah. Who they're working with. You know, but yeah. it's you know, so we'll we'll see. Um right now, gun to my head, I don't think it was a good idea. On Ely's part, but you know, certainly, hopefully, he gets a he has a good year, and yeah, we'll know more when the offers, what he wants out of yeah him. the offers start rolling in that he was hoping to get, which is a, what I assume with the reason he's going for. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to assume that. I don't know, maybe maybe I'm missing something. Snyder's just not going to return anybody else but him. I don't know. Maybe they. Yeah, he mentioned eight, he mentioned eight. something about losing eight seniors or something in an interview I saw. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever that's worth. Yeah, damn it, toughen up and be the guy. I don't know. Um, shit with Fort Wayne, you never know. They could definitely end up with two or three guys transferring in, and oh, definitely being every bit as good as they were as every bit as they've been the last two years. So. Um, anything else there's talk about right now? I mean, we're an hour in, probably <laughs> twenty minutes longer than what we we talked about going. But um, yeah, uh, neither one of us have finished the Jordan doc, so we no, can't really chit chat about that. That one, I've got one episode left. I've got the two. Uh, and I guess so. We're talking prep schools, what? How do you feel about the JUCO route? I'm not as I'm not high on JUCO. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's um depends. You know, you get guys like, you know, Mike Burris at Olney and and Aaron Butcher who's coached down at who's now at at a junior college in Enon. He he did a nice job at Ancilla. He did things at Ancilla nobody else had ever done before. He was the head coach there. And you know, you you look at Kyle Smith Peter at at John A Logan over in Illinois. Really, there's – I think junior college has changed a lot in the last 20 years. I, I think you you still have situations where you get guys that just recruit and take anybody. Yeah. Even the top-level guys and the top-level programs. But those three guys I named especially are are hunting good character kids. And aren't just taking anybody, right? You know, and 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 I don't know that they're that they're not approached by Division One guys and say, "Hey, take this kid," so we can. You know, sometimes you can get bad kids that way, uh, and bad kids may be too strong, but you get kids that that make mistakes. But 
I mean, I had two two kids off my 2015 team go the junior college route. One had to. And he ended up at Miami of Ohio. So he obviously did well enough academically. I mean, he got his associate's degree. He did his work. He had a great career, two years at at Eastern Arizona. And, you know, Darian Ringo goes to Miami of Ohio. And his, his junior year is third in the country in assists and second in the country in steals. And then you look at Jordan Geist, who, who goes to Ranger and plays for Billy Gillespie down there. He didn't have to go that route, but he wanted to be re-recruited. I think if we'd have had a longer conversation, I would have recommended him going to a prep school. Sure. Yeah, he was up here. But then he goes to Missouri. Penn for a second. Huh? He was up here at Penn for a second. Well, he was at Homestead for a second. Yeah. <laughs> we could we could do an episode on, on Jordan Guy. <laughs> His high school experiences. For one for one, I'm happy that Coach Rhodes still talks to me. Yeah. Um because two weeks after he commits to us, he basically tells everybody he's leaving Penn. Oh, so geez. I had nothing to do with that. You know, his dad interviews. <laughs> we're going down a path we didn't. We weren't going to talk about. We didn't know we were going to talk about. His dad interviews for administrative positions in Carmel, and I'm like, great. If you get it down here, Coach Rhodes will never talk to me again. And he interviews for a position at Fort Wayne schools. Uh huh. And no matter what kind of back channeling I try to do, Carmel doesn't give – surprisingly, Carmel doesn't give two rats butt about anybody having a kid who can play basketball. Ugh. And he interviews for a job at an elementary school and doesn't get it. Fort Wayne schools basically said, look, we're going to give you a job this year here, and then after this year you're going to get to do – you know, you're going to have an opportunity to do something else, like more in line with what he wanted to do. And he took, you know, he took that. So instead of going to Carmel, Jordan Geis goes to Homestead, and they beat Carmel in the regional and win a state championship. <laughs> That's cool, kind of cool for me because Jordan Geis played for me, Dana Bat played for me for Homestead. So, okay, so two kids I coached won a state championship. Yeah. But I would have rather had Jordan Geis go to Carmel, play with Klein, and and win a state championship there. For but, sure. Yeah, you know, that's just me. But so Geist. You know, it is no question he was a mid-major guard. And, you know, and the, you know, the reasons why he left, the reasons why he left Penn was because family situation, dad was looking for a new job. Those two things. So this was going to happen. He was going to leave Penn no matter what, probably. But he got in trouble his junior year. Yeah. It was going to cost him some games his senior year, and so anybody that's any that's anybody is going to was tying those two things together, and I think that's fair, right? <laughs> but it's not completely factual. But so he goes to Ranger and has an, a really good year. In fact, for four out of five weeks, him and Ringo were Player of the Week at the junior college level. It was. It's kind of cool. You get, I, mean, I, I could watch some of those games online. I just kind of neat watching it. They both had a really good year. So then Coach Anderson at Missouri calls me up. K.J. Walton's already there. K.J. played played on the same team with Geist and, and Ringo, Brownsburg kid. Went to Brownsburg with Ringo. So Coach Anderson calls up and he's like, um, 
we want to recruit Jordan Geist. And I was like, really? And they're like, yeah. And and to this day, I, I'll tell you, his dad and I both, Jordan has exceeded both of our expectations. Scott Geist is a good guy. I, I'm sure he'll listen to this eventually. He he had the utmost confidence in his son. But I tell you, we have conversations. We're thinking he goes to Mac level school. He's going to be in good shape. Yeah. Um. But he always over he always overachieved on the court because he plays so hard and he's a smart kid. So. I had the conversation with Coach Anderson in Missouri, and he's like, this is what we need. He goes down this short list of things he needs, and every one of them something Jordan's good at. And I'm like, man, if that's what you need, then he's your guy, you know? Um, you know, and, of course, Coach Anderson then gets fired, and then Coach Martin comes in, and Conzo was at Purdue for a number of years and is his assistant, so it's somebody that I had good rapport with. And – you know, he's like, we hear a lot of good things about Jordan Geist. You know, what do you think? Can he help us win games? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, here, you know, what do you need? You know, and he clicks through a short list of things he needs. I'm like, Jordan's really good at all those things. And then his last two years, they recruit these high-level point guards. You know, and and he beats them both out. Yep, yep. You know, and they had some other injuries. I mean, Porter, the Porter brothers come in, and neither one of them seemed to be able to finish a year. Yeah. So they had some talent that didn't get a chance to to play it through, but that hindered their success. But but guys had a hell of a career at Missouri, and now he's playing over. I mean, nobody's playing right now, but he's he's had a chance to sign a contract and play overseas. At I don't to this day, I don't think his dad ever expected that. I I didn't. And we both, I mean, I, I loved coaching him. Just was a hard nosed kid that would do any little dirty thing you could do to to win a game, at, while at the same time being productively on the offensive end and, and and being completely efficient. And so, so in that case, junior college. That's this is a long way around to what you were asking. In that case, junior college really helped him. Yeah. It allowed him to be re recruited. There were some questions surrounding his transfer, which I understood. They weren't completely applicable, but I got it. Um, and there was some back channeling on the pin side. I don't think from Coach Rhodes though about why he left Penn. And, and again, I got it, but he. It really was way more to do with the dad looking for a better job situation, you know, looking for for more stability. And the junior college situation completely helped him. I think prep school would have helped him just the same. But I'm pretty sure he was intrigued with the idea of playing with Billy Gillespie, who, of course, used to be the head coach at Kentucky. And, and the Texas Junior College League is a good league. And it was, you know, it was – you know, you just hope that he would go down there and not be around a bunch of riffraff because that's the rap sometimes, Yeah. you know. And, and But I've named some guys that, that, that recruit, that don't just recruit talent, they recruit kid people. 
And I don't know that Gillespie is any different in that regard. I don't think Gillespie wants to worry about micromanaging some of that BS. But, you know, Geist obviously had a great year and, and, and went on and had a good career at Missouri. So I'd say, yeah, it definitely worked out. I, again, I would say if you're, if you're looking at it to completely change your recruiting, the answer is no, don't do it because it's not going to happen. It doesn't change your ceiling. Uh, in the case of Geist and Ringo, and Ringo needed it. I mean, he had to do it, basically. But in the case of Geist and Ringo, they both were being recruited at that level. In Geist's case, mid-majors were at least sniffing around. Yeah. And... You know, in Ringo's case, the only thing that was holding him back was his shot mechanics. And high major defender, high major passer. Soaked everything up on the basketball court and and sometimes was a little high risk, but high reward. You know, and, and entirely coachable. And, you know, so, but in... In Guy's case, where he didn't have to go that route, it really paid off. So, I'm sure we could. It's no different in my mind than that post grad prep school. So, just don't look for it to change your life. Don't yeah. look for it to completely flip on its head, in, unless there's a reason that hindered your recruiting to begin with. And in his case, it, there was some stuff hindering his recruitment. And um, I think a good prep school would have been would have been good for him, but playing for Billy Gillespie was was pretty important, or it became pretty important. So, anything, uh, anything else you got? I don't think tonight. I mean, we squeeze. We're going to squeeze about a minute twenty out of this here pretty soon. Took care of business there. I mean, Gus Etchison committed to Western Michigan. Yep. No, no surprise there. That tweet has been pinned on his timeline since they offered it to him. Probably the worst kept secret in the last year. That falls under the category of no matter what you say, anything you say or do sends a message whether you intend it to or not. There you go. And in a very, very innocent, innocuous way, he had that Western Michigan offer tweet that he got last summer pinned to his timeline from the very beginning. <laughs> Good stuff. It became pretty obvious where he was going to go two weeks ago when he said, I'm going to announce 